0: The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome to this Tuesday edition of Sportbox. U.S. futures and the Nikkei turn negative after Moderna's CEO, Stefan Bansell questions the power of vaccines against the new Omicron variant. Given the large number of mutations, it is highly possible that the efficacy of a vaccine, all of them, is going down. Oil prices also dip, while the US's energy envoy tells CNBC the Biden administration is ready to release more reserves if necessary.
1: We wanted to do something that was impactful for the market uh, and that also had the ability and the flexibility to allow us to do that again should the need arise uh, for the American economy.
2: The UK rolls out booster jabs to anyone over 18 now as it looks to prevent a wave of Omicron infections, whilst US President Mr Biden rules out another lockdown for now and warns curbs on travel won't be enough to stop the spread.
3: While we have that travel restrictions can slow the speed of Omicron. It cannot prevent it, but here's what it does. It gives us time. It gives us time to take more actions, to move quicker.
2: Plus, you've got Chinese manufacturing activity actually picking up, growing for the first time in three months in November against expectations as supplier pressures ease and prices fall.
0: Oh, so a very warm welcome and uh, nice to see you. Lovely
2: to see you too. Did you yes. have a nice little mini break? Yes,
0: yeah, it was good. A few days yeah. off to get some uh some administrative <laughs> affairs sorted. You mean get Nothing the car very serviced. interesting. <laughs> well you can't go anywhere, can you? Nobody wants to take chances with this uh new variant. Well, well I think
2: you go, no, I think cautious getting on with your life. Mm. And obviously we have new master rules in the UK as of, I think yes, it was 4 a.m. this morning, so, I think. Yes, we do, I brought one um, with me. I have mine with me too, there yes, to just, just for management. Yep, yeah, we're there, yeah. yep, good. good. Right, but um, but yeah, I think cautiously getting on with your, I, I have no intention, for instance, like some people, of putting the kids out of school. I have no, until they're out of school, because the yeah. teachers are dropping like flies, the kids are dropping like flies. I have yeah. no intention of not going out and in person seeing people, have you? But I think cautiously getting on with life, Pascal Sorio said to me, the best thing you can do yep. if you're out and about is stick your mask on. If Pascal Sorio says that to me, then, yep. then that's good enough for me. Well, absolutely.
0: So, yeah. The boss of AstraZeneca should be listened to. It should when be, he indeed. Speaks. But that's, unfortunately,
2: that's... markets are incredibly well, concerned. Well, nervous and
0: understandably
2: yeah. nervous, I think.
0: U.S. futures then appear to have turned negative in the past hour after Moderna's CEO, Stefan Bansell, raised concerns about the efficacy of vaccines against the new Omicron COVID variant. Speaking to CNBC, he said it would take time to be certain.
1: What is the impact of this new variant
0: on the vaccine efficacy? And we should know that in around two weeks. Given the large number of mutations, it is highly possible that the efficacy uh, of the vaccine, all of them,
1: is going down. But we need to wait for the data to know if this is true and how much is it going down.
2: Right, let's take a look at some of these markets. Um, I was looking in depth at the recovery yesterday from the drubbing that we saw at the tail end of last week. And and I don't know what you think, actually, the viewer, because I don't have... a a, a strong uh, answer, but I I didn't think it was that powerful. I have to say, I've seen some stunning, stunning rallies on the back of downticks, as you all have. And we've talked about this a lot, haven't we, all of us, over the last year, that every time there's been a meaningful sell-off, it has been a wonderful opportunity to top up your holdings, to reload, uh, and to enjoy yet more market record highs. And we've had 70-plus intraday highs, record levels on on the S&P so far this year. But yesterday... It didn't seem that powerful. Now, there may be a whole host of reasons why that is. People might still be away from the desk. They may just be waiting for a little bit more news. I wait until we know more about what's going on with Omicron as well. And we're learning all the time, of course, all of us. I saw some very patronising email from one of the chief economists at one of the banks. They say, oh, we're all getting the amateur epidemiologists back again now. Well, of course, we're all amateur em- epi- epi- I can't even say the word epidemiologists. We're all trying to learn and make decisions in our lives, as we just mentioned, in our investment decisions as well uh, and what to do professionally so I think yes There's nothing wrong with being an amateur epidemiologist as long as you actually know the extent of your information and your actual knowledge and then relying on the experts. I thought it was rather patronizing of that person to say this about everyone. But my point being is, I didn't feel the rally felt that strong yesterday across the board on on various asset classes. So I'll just go through this because I know Jeff's going to talk about this as well, but the Nikkei's back down again today, 462 points, which is roughly the kind of rally we saw in the last 24 hours. The Hang Seng is getting a big drubbing, 607 points lower. Shanghai Composite has been lacking in volatility last couple of days i'm sure you noticed but it was barely moved yesterday barely moved today Uh, and the asx as well up two tenths of one percent quick look at the treasuries so the yield started off last week at 160 odd then we went down to 148 and then we got up to 150 we are now trading on the 10-year paper at 146. So once again, a bit of concern coming in. But just, Jeff, just very briefly, yeah. um, you've been watching this from afar, yes. from, from underneath perhaps your, your, your vehicles doing servicing yes. as well, but what are your thoughts?
0: Well, no, I, I absolutely agree with you. We're back in the science, uh, and we're obviously now waiting to get good guidance then as to how effective or otherwise our existing range of vaccines and treatments is. The, the questions for me are, um, are households um, still flush with money? Can they go out and spend if they want to spend on services and products? Yes seems to be the answer at the moment, but obviously if lifestyles are curtailed that will have some impact on how you can go and enjoy that cash. Um, Are earnings estimates um, still in good shape? Uh, And that's another question that's tied into the first question. Um, Earnings estimates at this point still look Pretty respectable they going do. forward. The question then is, um, will we see lockdowns imposed that will have some material impact on how demand is satisfied? At this stage, we don't know the answer to that. And there are some positive stories out there. Uh, I was looking at what the Walmart CEO had to say about supply chain challenges easing. Again, that that's a positive, and the fact that China's sort of edged back into positive territory on the PMIs overnight well, at least on the manufacturing side, is encouraging as well. So at the moment, I agree with you. There is no reason for you to go panicking, arm-waving, running for the hills at this point. Every time you've bought on the dip, as you've made clear, you've, you've benefited from the uptick that subsequently come on any sell-off. Why should it be any different this time round, barring the fact that we are already at quite high levels for markets? And we're going to talk a bit more about that when we go through the monthly walls.
2: Yeah, um, just one or two other little facts as well. I I think... um, Two things are clear. One, the buybacks and dividends in the United States especially have been quite stunning. We're back at record levels on both counts as well. So enormous amount of support from the companies themselves for this market. The other thing that we've learned very clearly is despite all the factors we're thinking about, whether it's inflation, whether it's supply chains, whether it's the underlying economy, the consumer valuations, everything is second to Covid. Just reminding ourselves that the COVID news, as we've seen in the last 72 hours or so, mm. the COVID news dominates everything. If we, if we have a real retrenchment on that front, as well, that can dominate, that can wipe out very quickly all the other factors as important as well. And uh, we saw the power of that in spring last year. And I think we had a taster of it, not the full force, but a taster of it at the tail end of last week. And as I speak, crude prices are now down 3.2% in session, which is very, very interesting. We talked a lot about this yesterday as well, didn't we? Crude prices have now turned negative this morning amid, as we mentioned, renewed Omicron uncertainty after rallying from their biggest one-day drop since April last year. The US Energy Envoy Amos Hochstein has told CNBC, told own Hadley actually, that Biden, Mr. Biden, is ready to release even more oil reserves if markets get too hot. Hadley, I've got to say, I don't understand this strategy about the SPR from the US. It got a lukewarm reaction last time. I don't know why they're pursuing such mealy-mouthed, small amounts of oil into the market when we know the power uh, of the other side of the trade, the producers. They have so much more power to change what they do in terms of supply. Why are we worrying about SPRs?
4: You got it. You know, you just got to wonder about this. Obviously, the decision is incredibly political. It's playing um, to the folks that elected President Biden. You'll remember, of course, that he was considered, you know, the only person uh, in the Democratic Party who could beat Donald Trump. And, you know, he was backed by a lot of progressives. He was backed by a heck of a lot of people who believed um, in in the climate change agenda that he is pursuing. And you've got to wonder at what point um, this administration takes a step back and really looks at their policies. I pressed Thomas Hussstein on this one. You know, I asked him specifically, you know, in terms of SPR release, you know, are you going to use this as a policy going forward? Can we expect more of this? And he said, if the market uh, is such that it's needed, then, then you know, absolutely, we're going to do that. I also asked him, what's he doing out here? So just days before an OPEC meeting, you have America's top energy envoy, not the energy secretary, mind you making a phone call here, but the energy envoy from the State Department out in the Gulf Arab countries. Now he's visited the UAE, he's in Saudi Arabia today, he's heading to Qatar the next day. I asked him, "You know, do you believe that you're gonna be able to sway these folks to your way of thinking? And he essentially said, it's not really about convincing them. So if he's giving up trying to convince OPEC plus producers to do what the United States really wants, what is he actually doing? Listen in.
1: We are, I don't think I'm there to sway anyone to our point of view. Uh, I think we're going to compare notes on where we think the market is. I think that while we had uh, very close uh, collaboration and information sharing about each other's moves and what we're going to be doing and Uh, We had a very close discussions and fruitful ones with uh, most of the members of OPEC uh, before the president decided on the Strategic Petroleum Reserve release. We're going to do the same thing. And I think sometimes that's important to do in person as well, uh, to share those views. And it's not about convincing. I myself don't know where the market will settle over the next few days. And I think if the market is where we see it today, uh, I read... Um, Deputy Prime Minister Novak's statement. I saw the statements from other ministers uh, over the last several days uh, who had uh, also did not see a need to change the agreement that OPEC Plus had reached. But hard for me to presuppose what they're going to do. And uh, I hope to know more about their thinking uh, after our meetings conclude over the next few days here in the region
4: another release from the strategic petroleum reserves, could that be a potential tool that the administration would use again?
1: Absolutely. Uh, this is a tool that was available to us and will be available again. Remember, this was not a 50 million barrel release. It was 30, bar- 30 million barrels were an exchange where companies and uh, traders can take the oil now and return it over a scheduled period of time. That means that the reserve is going, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve will be replenished and therefore that we have more flexibility to be able to do this again in the future if the need arises. I think we wanted to do something that it was impactful for the market uh, and that also had the ability and the flexibility to allow us to do that again should the need arise uh, for the American economy.
4: So absolutely, this is a tool the United States could use again if necessary, um, he's telling me. But at the same point, he's saying we want to allow for some flexibility here um, on our side if, if it's deemed uh, needed. But what does that actually mean? I mean, that's the bigger question, right? At what point do they think that prices are gonna be at a level, and I asked him that, and didn't really get an answer, surprise, surprise, um, that they would not deem it necessary or deem it necessary going forward. And remember, this all goes back to that conversation I had just a couple of weeks ago in Abu Dhabi at Atapec um, with the CEO of Occidental, of course, you know, oil and gas company in the United States. And I said to her, you know, do you think it's a mistake for the Biden team to be making calls overseas? And she said, listen, why wouldn't you ask the people here at home to help you with this situation? Why wouldn't you make a local call? Why are you calling international. So big questions, I think, at home and abroad about U.S. energy policy at this point. Hadley, terrific. Thank
0: you so much for that. And I think uh, we are all scratching our head a little bit on that story, but we will come back to it. Uh, let's focus on the markets for a moment. I wanted to show you where we are on the US futures. We've had quite a big move over the last hour. And I think it's just worth staying in touch with these futures because they'll obviously affect sentiment as we come into the European trading session from the United States. And Steve, were, Steve and I were making a very valid point about how the market has continued to bounce, if effectively on every sell-off, will it be different this time round? Let's just show you what's happened as as far as the Dow Jones Uh, industrial average is concerned over the month-to-date story. And I pull up this one initially because it is the market which has struggled to maintain that momentum that we came into the fourth quarter with. Let's just um, uh, flip the wall and have a look at the uh, the NASDAQ and the S&P here because I think that just shows you uh, which sector has been largely in the driving seat across the month of November. The NASDAQ managing to hang on to gains of 1.84%. The S&P P500, up about 1% for the month as a whole here. And let's just quickly reflect on those tech stocks because they have largely been in the driving seat. But as you'll notice, there are one or two idiosyncratic reasons, individual company reasons like uh, the Twitter story indicating um, that there is a lot of uncertainty in the sector and a lot of nervousness around adjustment in management. Today, though, we could see um quite a different story in terms of the broader play for the tech sector and the nasdaq depending on how these futures translate into real numbers once this market opens but it does appear that these uh, comments uh, about the efficacy of the vaccines are driving the futures lower at this stage um, let's have a quick look at the travel sector i think useful just to pull this up because we've seen the uh, uh, s and hotels and leisure sector month to date struggle here as um, uh, further news around uh, this latest variant has been absorbed by the market off uh, 3.25%. Uh, the question you have to ask yourself obviously with this sector is how confident are you that governments are not going to impose swinging lockdowns at some stage here which takes us back to something that looks like lockdown light from the first and second
2: wave. Swinging lockdowns from governments on one side, Mm. tighter money from central banks on the other side. And that Mm. seems to be the game that the market's playing a little bit. Are we going into a... Very tough economic period because of COVID. Or actually, are we still maintaining the trajectory out of it? And of course, the inflationary impulses are on the back of that, that means that the Federal Reserve and others have to move more quickly. And that is why the dollar has been a bit of a ping-pong match amidst this as well. So look at the dollar index. Month to date, it's had a really good run as well. But you'll notice, and if I could just ask the directors just to pan to the right-hand side a little bit more as well. So look, we've had this rally up. Oh, yeah, we've seen the drum beat, we've seen the, the PCE deflator. we've seen the CPI figures, the PPI figures, the jolts numbers, every average earnings pointing to something that looks inflationary as well. So much so that of course we've got the president who's releasing drip feeding a little bit more oil into market to try and get the price down. Well, he got lucky on the price of oil, didn't he? Um, Unlucky, lucky. I mean, I say lucky because it's gone down aggressively, but it was nothing to do with the SPR, was it? Let's all be honest about it. It was everything to do with COVID. But look, then we saw this downtick in the last couple of days. That's the point I want to show you. The downtick in the last couple of days on the dollar index, as indeed that drumbeat for higher rates has just lessened a little bit. And we talk about some of the supply chains from Walmart, uh, from the Chinese and the manufacturing data as well, plus an oil price, which is around about 10 bucks lower, give or take the change, maybe a bit more than that, than we were a week or so ago at about the same time that the SPR announcement came. So so on the inflationary front, The central banks and the president getting a little bit lucky, so to speak, as well. That will abate somewhat when you see such large declines in the oil price. But there are analysts out there, and I think it was JP Morgan in the last couple of days who were saying, and plus Morgan Stanley, Martin Ratz, the piece yesterday, Mm. that they think that the pressures are still building for a higher oil price as well. There's a lot going on. I suppose
0: the X factor, as you've mentioned, is ultimately how central banks react to Omicon because the, um, uh, the the narrative from Jay Powell yesterday seemed to be, yes, we take on board that some of these inflationary pressures could actually be around a lot longer than we previously forecast, which would suggest that there is going to be continual tapering and ultimately the path to higher interest rates continues to progress uh, into 2022. The problem is, um, we, as we said, we're in this fog of war situation again where there is uncertainty and the pressure on the central bankers, not just on j Powell, but of course here in the UK and to a certain extent on Christine Lagarde, although her narrative has been different as we know, will be, just wait, why be in a hurry at this stage until we ultimately know the full impact on the global economy of this latest variant?
2: I I hear you, but I think valuations and bubble-like tendencies are there. I think even every central banker, even that the Riksbank that gave us this wonderful prediction again last week, and I love their 0.0% predictions for interest rates and inflation going forward, and they they have the most amazing forward-looking indicators. But even they must admit that when you've had a 20% rally in Stockholm house prices this year, there is something afoot. When there was a piece in the FT, I think it was the FT yesterday saying, how the Germans became British in their love of housing. Well, yeah, duh, if you take away their interest rate for the Sparkassen, and you take away the interest rate from putting money in government bonds, then yes, the Germans who are very canny with their money, they've always saved double the Anglo Saxons, will try and put it somewhere else, and hence they will buy a property. And hence why we're seeing Deutsche Wohnen and uh, the other big players out there, and Vanovia looking at the activity and voraciously trying to buy more property where well, you still can get a yield. Mm,
0: mm. No, absolutely. Uh, so take out the playbook from the first and second wave, blow off the dust, have a look at it, see to what extent you think it now mirrors what we're no, experiencing here. Go on. The
2: playbook's different because we have vaccines. The playbook will be the same if those vaccines don't work. Well absolutely, I can't disagree with that. Um, still to come on
0: the programme this morning then China's factory activity unexpectedly picks up in November expanding for the first time in three months as a surge in raw materials prices starts to ease. And as we go to break, this is where Asian markets currently sit. Selling off in the past hour or so on renewed virus concerns. This as we see the Dow futures implying a 500-point sell-off at this hour. Welcome back everybody. Uh, This is where we currently sit on the projected open for the US markets and there's a lot of movement in these US futures with the Dow now implied to open uh, down about 390 points But obviously there's a lot of moving around uh, before we get to the US Open and we've got the European Open to deal with first. And we need to update you on the latest Chinese data. Factory activity expanded in November. That was against the forecast of a contraction. The official manufacturing price manufacturers index, uh, the PMI series, came in at 50.1 for the month. That's just above the threshold that separates contraction from expansion. China's non-manufacturing PMI also grew, coming in at 52.3. Let's get out to Sam, who can tell us a little bit more about this data and why, Sam, we saw this surprise improvement on the manufacturing number.
3: Good morning to you, Jeff. Well, as you say, this certainly points to a degree of stabilisation now, which certainly is an encouraging sign. The reason why we saw this growing for the first time since August was really down uh, to the energy crunch and also those high raw material costs actually easing throughout the month of November, as we do know that China has been ramping up production of coal to try to address the power shortage and to try to cool those prices. So that seems to be paying off in terms of the upstream price pressure for these manufacturers. We do know that have have said that these falling falling energy prices have actually uh, led to a drop in other prices of materials like steel and aluminium. At the same time, uh, we know that some of this power rationing actually wrapped up at the start of November. So that all brought some relief, certainly for these manufacturers. If we look under the hood in terms of really what drove that headline number uh, up, it did seem to be more on the supply side than the demand side, because we saw that production leaped out of contraction, as I say, because of those reasons I just mentioned, input costs actually dropped significantly pointing to these easing inflationary pressures and that led to a drop in the output costs as well. Uh, New orders in the meantime still fell but at a slower pace. We also saw those new export orders actually increasing because of some of that external demand ahead of Christmas uh, but that still did stay in contraction territory. So there is still a few pressures there but uh, if you look under hood that's what really happened when it came to the manufacturing side of things. Uh, Looking ahead uh, some analysts have said that manufacturers' may actually face some restrictions in the lead up to the Winter Olympics. Of course, as we've been speaking about for the last few days, we've also got this uncertain path of the virus when it comes to the uh, Omicron variant. And China is maintaining this zero COVID approach. There has been some argument that by not doing that, perhaps the situation may have been worse. But as you say, uh, we did also get the services PMI actually still, still sitting comfortably above that line that separates expansion from contraction. It did drop a little bit from October, certainly as we did see some restrictions in China to try to curb the uh, virus as we did see a spike in cases Uh, but uh, really uh, we did see a divergence certainly in the sectors of financial services uh, had a good month but those face-to-face services uh, still were in contraction things like accommodation uh, and catering. I would like to point out that we did see some strength when it came to construction as we do know authorities have certainly been trying to stabilise the property sector so that's what happened with that data today.